Okay, my name is Matt Reagan. Um, I, uh, you know, it's always easier for Jeff to do this introduction, not me. Uh, what should you know about me? I've been doing student ministry for a long time. I've been at uh, one church now for 13 years. I was in another church for seven years. I was the church before that for a really short stint. Um, it was a good stint. In that, I've always loved um, impacting next generation. Stu students have always been my thing, uh, student leaders. Uh, I oversaw student ministry for a lot of time in my church in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it's a church called Southeast Christian Church. Um, I did student ministry, uh, just that for probably my first, oh, probably primarily my first two and a half, three years there. And then I kind of switched into leadership. And so I've done everything from overseeing all the ministries of the church um, to right now where I sit as like a kind of a um, vision seat where I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of equipping of our pastors, a lot of equipping of our young leaders. And then I, I work with a lot of our um, help uh, uh, you know, I hope we're all doing this. Hope our ch help our church be who we all want her to be in the community. Uh, serving prisons, um, the kind of the down and outs, and just keeping us uh, connected in the pulse of humanity and stuff. So I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us, but I'm I'm a little bit more vision oriented. Um, to warn everybody, I do talk kind of fast. Uh, so if you need to slow me down, I am going to make it interactive. A because the room is hot, and, and B uh, because it's after lunch. So, um, but uh, one of the things, a uh, couple things you need to know. I, I do come from a church where I've had to, uh, I spent the lion's share of my life, um, not just leading ministries, but then equipping other people on how to lead <clears throat> ministries. Still do that today. I was on a Zoom call with uh, all our youth pastors uh, just yesterday and our uh, campus pastors uh, the day before that, just uh, unpacking a little bit of um, who we are, making sure that we're moving forward uh, in, in the light of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but on top of that, the thing that I, I always want to say this about myself but I'm an inner city uh, street rat. I grew up in a, uh, some of you that heard, I grew up in an inner city project. Um, I am the only kid from my two parents. Uh, they both had families and they were both train wrecks. My mom left um, home when she was 16 into the arms of an 18 year old. Um, my grandma signed the papers. Remember that people back in the day when you could sign your daughter away to get married at 16? Wow, can you still do that? Surely not, maybe, I don't know. Um, she ran into his arms because home life was crazy. Uh, she got married and then come to find out he was pretty abusive. Beat my mom pretty bad. Uh, she thought, well, it's just me. Uh, that's kind of the victim mentality. Um, but then she, they had a kid, uh, my older brother. Uh, he got put in the hospital when he was a year and a half because uh, dad came home mad, kicked him in the ribs, put him in the hospital. Mom said, I want to get out of Dodge. Mom ran to my dad, who's a former Special Forces Vietnam veteran who came back. Uh, pretty broken, uh, like a lot of those guys, and um, already didn't have a dad. His dad um, died when he was nine years old, and uh, raised by his siblings. Pretty, he's like pretty man's man. Um, give you a little quick little interlude. So I'm I'm stealing Jeff's time right now. Is what I'm doing. But uh, this is this is perspective on my dad. My dad, we were watching um, the show. My wife and I were first dating, and um, you know how everything was an action movie back then. And somebody snapped their neck. My dad's super quiet. And uh, we're watching it, and my dad just said, it never sounds like that. And my wife was like, wait, wait, what? And that's my dad. Like, my dad is he's a bad man. And um, he's in his 70s now. Um, I got to watch in the midst of that crazy town. It was crazy town. Cops in and out of the house. I'm the only one of my uh, siblings that hasn't been incarcerated. Um, and in the middle of that, my mom found Jesus, like right before I was born, and just turned our life upside down. When I say she found Jesus... She found the best friend in life. I remember crawling down underneath the, the table because I was afraid of all my siblings because they hated me because I was a golden child because I was from the two parents. And I crawled down, and my mom, every morning, um, would just meet with Jesus uh, for a good solid hour. And um, you could literally, I, I swear, you know, you can call me crazy. It's fine. It felt like uh, God's presence was in our home, and I could feel it. And I remember waking up, and there's this radiant light in the middle of the darkness, and I was like, I think I want that. And so I got raised with that uh, when my brother got stabbed um, right before I was getting ready to go to kindergarten. We had a prayer meeting. See, you didn't want to hear this. This is new information. Uh, so my, um, my brother had just uh, got stabbed at school in, uh, in seventh grade. No, he was in sixth grade. And I was getting ready to go to kindergarten. Um, my mom took it to a prayer gathering in our church. Uh, they came out. We're getting ready to leave. I uh, literally had to get a jump start for our car. They came out, knocked on the window, said, come back in, we're going to pray. They prayed over me and said, we think he's supposed to go to this tiny little Christian school at the church. My mom was like, we can't afford it. Seven years later, I was raised there like a church rat and got heroes of the faith that, faith that raised me. 
and I'm a product of the church being the church and, um, and Jesus being Jesus. And I'll never stop being grateful as long as I live. I really won't. And um, that is my story. So do I care about numbers and stuff like that? No. Do I care about people following Jesus? Yes. Like emphatically, yes. Like give my, I'm, I'm giving my life for it. I don't always do the best at it, but I really want to give my life for something that matters. And I think he's the only thing that does matter. I think he's the only one that steps in a room. And when he steps in a room, and I don't know if you've had the divine privilege of when he steps in the room, but no matter what's on the table, all bets are off. He changes whatever is going on in the room. I love that about him. And so um, uh, all that to say, um, here's what I'm here to talk about today. I'm excited to talk about it with you. Um, early on in the afternoon, you missed it. Let me recap a little bit. Uh, we were talking about how do you disciple a broken generation? And there's a realization uh, I think we uh, kind of came to, alluded to. The reality is we're all broken. Uh, it's a different kind of brokenness. And everybody's like, oh, how do they do with the phones? And oh, how do they... Well, there's a lot of things they also have, too. They don't have parents that are as checked out and, and coming home as, as alcoholic in some situations. It, it's different. Brokenness has been around since Adam and Eve. Um, and uh, in Rome, it was actually worse than now. So it's not like we're at the eclipse of humanity and we're at the, the great debacle of the centuries. Um, but we also know there's a lot of brokenness, enough to go around. And so Jesus is still the same answer for the brokenness that he always has been. But he's asking us um, not to just be nice and help fix their woes, uh, I think he's asking us to, um, to make disciples. That was kind of uh, one of the things we talked about is um, he's asking, he's not asking, you know, Matthew 28, uh, starting with verse 16, says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, um, as you go, um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all, I've, all that I've commanded. And then uh, we talked about this. Sorry, I'm recapping for some of you. I told you I talk fast, so just get ready. You're like, I did, wanted to relax. It's a, an afternoon class. Um, and then the literal translation is not, uh, it's behold or a do in Greek. And it's behold or like look in my eyes. I love that. Anytime you hear, um, go back and do a little study. Sorry. Do a little study on every ado that is in scripture in the New Testament will blow your mind. It's interesting. And the beholds, we dropped them because of NIV, but they were a very endearing, like, look at me. Anyways, Jesus says, look at me, ado. Behold, behold. It's this, not behold. It's a behold. Do you see me? I will be with you the whole of every moment. I know what I'm asking you to do, and it's difficult. Um, I know what I'm asking you to do. It's going to cost you your whole life. I know what I'm asking you to do. You're not up for the task. You weren't trained for it. Um, how many of you are trained to do what you're doing right now? No. You can, you're like, yes, liar. Um, <laughs> or if, if we feel like we're trained, we're on the wrong mission field, okay? Because this is one of those things that the, that the Father has to do it with us and through us and in us. And uh, that's just the nature of the kingdom. So I love that. That's, that's my favorite thing about him. One of my favorites. I got a lot. But in that, he says, I will be with you the whole of every moment. That's what I want to do. I want to make disciples, primary uh, form of the text. I want to help people walk like Jesus, uh, the image of the invisible God put into flesh. And I want people to taste that. I want them to worship like him, pray like him. One of the things we unpacked, um, this is just the warm-up recap. You're like, wow, you did have coffee. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. It was all for you. Um, we kind of unpacked what would it look like if... if, if um, there's a lot of disciple-making uh, models. I didn't talk about this. I'm adding some extra stuff for some of you that are in here so that you don't fall asleep on me. Um, there are a lot of models, great disciple-making mo models out there. So what are some of the ones that you've heard of? Anything? Disciple-making models? We're in a disciple-making class, DMM. I thought. What's that? Uh, DMM. D DMM. What else? Can you think of any? Leadership Pipeline. 3E, there's 3M, there's three-thirds, there's, uh, what's the, the other one, uh, the guy out of uh, North Carolina? Um, he's got the cog, the Wonkel in engine. I apparently am the only nerd that reads all these things. Okay, <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of models out there. Why this one? Um, this one, uh, the more we started equipping people, the more we said we want to equip people that always points people back to Jesus. Does that make sense? We can get a lot of language in front of people. There's a lot of nifty little vision statements and vision lines and all that kind of stuff. That's all great. My question is, when it comes down to brass task and somebody tacks and somebody says, I want to grow in Jesus, are, are we leading them to a statement that will lead them to a website? Or are we leading them to a word that will lead them back to Jesus? 
We want to get them to a word that will get them back to Jesus. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We want this to be as intrinsically Jesus as possible because he's the one that said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, then I will draw all men to him. That's his words, not mine. So we want Jesus to be a big deal in every single thing that we do. So um, one of the things we said is if you give me one shot, one shot across the bow to equip a simple set of things in summary, what does that look like from my study of Jesus? And I stole this from a lot of the greats. One of them, Dan Spader, if you want to study him. He's one of my favorites, like an older brother to me. Um, and I just want to tell you, this is what I spend time doing. Uh, for those of you in the room, we, spend, we do this with prisoners. We do this with halfway house people. We do this with people out of sex slave trade. We do this with um, soccer moms. We do this with, we do this with plumbers. We do this with uh, business execs. The governor of our state goes to our church. We do this with the governor. Like, this is not rocket science, and it's not so specific. As a matter of fact, the group, um, and we all do the same thing, um, we, I, we're, we're part of a global network. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and there's 126 countries just trying to get better at pointing people towards Jesus. We basically use the same outline. Why? Because we want to be as clear at pointing people back to Jesus as possible. And um, so that's the, that's the outline. And so um, that's kind of stuff. We're not going to unpack that. So I'm sorry if you missed it. Um, but it was great. You should have been here. So, um, so here's what I want to do. I want to start talking about. Um, so then if, if um, uh, last session we talked about the character and priorities of Jesus. So if you really want to disciple, disciple people in his character um, and disciple people in his priorities. A lot of the churches spend their time. I'll do this real fast. A lot of churches spend their time talking about the character of Jesus, right? So what are those things a part of his character? Just give me some stuff. Love. He's compassionate. He's give me some stuff. What do you think? He's graceful. He's patient. He's honest. Sometimes honest that hurts us. But he's still honest. Um, what else? How, what's that? Bold. He speaks the truth. But, you know, things like what's he do for uh, single ladies that show up and, and they're broken and abandoned? He sits and he makes time. He's interruptible. What's he do with the people that everybody throws away? He grabs a hold of them. He touches people. He is, that's who he is. He's, he's this incredibly amazing image of the invisible God wrapped in flesh. That is who he is. Um, Malachi said that the Savior will come with healing in his wings. It's just who he is. It's not that he had to try to do it. It's just who he was. It was just character. But then there are these priorities. Now, some people, uh, I don't know if you know these people, there are some people that are really nice and really humble and really joy-filled and really those things, but they're maybe not living out the priorities of Jesus. What, are the, what would you say are the priorities of Jesus? What are the things that were important to him? Obedience. It's not just character. Obedience is part of that. Uh, what would you say? Helping the marginalized. Helping the marginalized. Salvation. Salvation. Loving everyone. Loving everyone. You guys remember, if we just stick to his character, Savior comes healing its wings, and that passage in Mark 1 is going to be a problem because there's all these people that are outside the house and everybody wants to be healed. He says uh, over 40 times, it says Jesus often slipped away to the solitary places and prayed. Uh, and so he slips away. They can't find him. They find him, and he says what? He says, uh, what do we got to do? There's a house full of people. Everybody's got to get healed, but what are, what are we here to do? Do you remember what he said? He said, um, hey, guys, guess what? They're like, where have you been? we got a whole house full of people that get healed. Like, isn't that what you do? You heal people. And Jesus said, hey, guys, guess what? I'm sorry, um, but we've got to go to the nearby villages to preach the gospel. That's why I've come. My priority is not just what's locked into my character. My character is I'm a healer. That's who he is. That's why I love that about him. You can't get around him and him not heal. At the same time, he won't get locked up in his character without stepping into his priority. He knew why he came. He said to the Father, John 17, I've finished the work that you gave me to, to complete. I finished it. There was something that was, I was laser focused on. What was it? Um, and if you ask me what's on the Father's heart, uh, you know, nine days out of nine, ten days out of ten, it's people. He loves people. He loves people. Um, and he has a priority for salvation. For, you know, he has, and he wants to make disciples. So character and priorities. And so we talked about a little bit about that in the last session. Here's what I want to talk about now. What's the model? How do we help people? Let's get real practical. Um, what are the what are the what is the um, pathway that you, that could take you from? And I think a lot of people get locked up in this. Somebody, so Bruce comes up to me. Um, he wouldn't because he's a lot wiser than I. But he comes up to me and he says, "Hey, I want to get discipled. Um, anybody have this? Uh, man, I'd like to start grabbing coffee with you. I want to get discipled." 
and, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, I think I can do that, right? I know how to do that. Bruce would know how to do that because he's brilliant. But me, for me, I might get a little overwhelmed and be like, discipled into, like, where, is it a Bible study? Like, when do I let you go? How do, so what am I, if, if, if I want to get discipled, then what is it that, that you grab me here, how do you know that this person is going to pop out on the other side as a fully-fledged disciple of Jesus, the kind that Jesus had in his mind when he headed to the cross? And how do we join him in that work? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so what we can do, that's the beauty of his life, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to just talk about the character and priorities. We're going to now talk about the model of his life. What did he do? When did he do it? And how do we do the same thing? Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's do that. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. And again, you guys probably all knew this, but I went to Bible college and nobody told me this stuff. So I'm a little mad, want some money back, but here we go. So um, right off the bat, um, when I thought, let me back up and tell you how dumb I was. So I'm, I like, I've been reading scripture since I was little. I went to a Bible school. Like, so my mindset is nobody really went through and, and walked me through a chronology of Jesus and what he did with relationships, when he did it, and why. Nobody ever did that for me. I heard about his sermons. Preachers preach about his sermons. They talk about, and they talk about all of his, his character things and the things that he was passionate about. Never about the model of his life and when he did what he did. Isn't that interesting? So for me, as far as I know, I know that, you know, what, what happens at the very beginning? What's the first thing we hear about Jesus? His, born. his birth. We know he's born of a virgin. When you're talking to my lost neighbor that's now actually an ordained pastor at our church now, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> When he, his, big, his big thing when we'd sit on the driveway, and he'd be like, so he's giving me like his Oprah theology that everything's everything, and you're like, okay. Um, and so he's like, he comes out, and he's like, so wait, wait, wait. So like virgin birth, really? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I believe it. And he's like, that's crazy, man, that's crazy. You know, just, you know, they got a real problem with virgin birth. And you should, that's not normal, but if he did all this, why can't he do that? But anyways, so there's a birth, right? And then the next thing we hear about him, him is what? the temple. He's at the temple. He's this young man's most likely his bar mitzvah. Uh, he's on his way up there, and he's, they, they take off with him. They get down. If you, don't go, if you go to Israel, it's great. You can hike that uh, trip from the Jerusalem down to Jericho in about a day, but good luck going back up. It takes about two days. It is hot, and it is steep, and you don't want it. And so when you get down to the bottom, they recognize he's not there because they, they did everything in community. They go back up. They're like, who has the kids? He's up there, and he's in his father's house. Most people say that he was teaching. He was not teaching. He was asking questions. It says they were amazed at his questions. And so we know that about Jesus, right? So what's the next thing on the timeline that you know? The wedding question. Not quite. Almost. Baptism. Baptism. Says that he's he's working a day job until he's 30. Interesting question. Why? Probably likely worked at a, a little town called Sepphoris. Sepphoris is a little place over the hill. It's about a half an hour walk from Nazareth, likely the place where his, uh, his dad uh, settled when he came in. Sepphoris actually had an ins- inscription on the city, the number one um, uh, tradesman place to build at the time of Jesus. It's, there's a little inscription in Sepphoris that says built by the tecton, which is, we say it's carpenter. It's not really carpenter. It's like builder. Built by the tecton. Guess who the tecton is? Joseph. Isn't that interesting? Half an hour's walk from Jesus' hometown. So we find out he's a real guy, worked a real day job, worked a day job. Tell he was 30. We would say to him, there's something wrong with you. Why aren't you married? What's wrong with you? You're, you know. But the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, says the Spirit prompted him to go down and be baptized. So we know that he goes down and gets baptized. And then this is where... You know, again, a lot of you know this better than I do, but also I was like, and then he popped out and it just got awesome. <laughs> like he just popped out and we're doing miracles, we're rebuking people, we're healing people, we're calling people, we're... But that's not how it went down. So how did it go down? That's the part when I start realizing that Jesus, Luke is the best, I think, example, because it says most excellent Theophilus at the beginning of Luke. I write to give you an orderly account um, so that you will know, so that you can have something to base the timeline on. He goes back and he interviews people. He interviews Mary. I told you I'm nerdy. I'm sorry if I'm wearing some of you out. Um, he interviews these people. Why does he do that? Because he wants Theophilus, who is an intelligent guy, to have an intelligent understanding. Aren't you glad he did that, by the way? 
um, an intelligent understanding of what really happened. Because Mark, the traveling you know, companion of Peter, was like, this is how it happened. I was in a boat. He called me. We went. People got healed. People got delivered. And you're like, slow down, Peter. That's not really how it happened. But he's just giving you like an out, the first gospel out there. He's trying to give you what, like get to the punch, get to his power, get to, Luke says, no, 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 I'm going to start back and I'm going to help you understand the man. I love that. Uh, John does a little bit of the same way and that he makes Jesus very human and it helps us do that. So, um, so here's the thing. So after that, I just kind of get lost. Let me tell you what I found in that meantime. It's probably stuff you, are, you guys already know. The, this, is, this is kind of a model that, that we all use. It doesn't mean it's perfect. Um, you can use a Lucan model, a Markan model. If anybody wants to grab it for anything nerdy afterwards, I'd love to. I'm a nerd, so we'll roll. But first 30 years, all we know was he was born, he was in the temple, and this is going to mark when he gets prompted by the Holy Spirit down to go get baptized. Because everything up until this point is out of context of the relationships with his disciples, which is what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about how did Jesus disciple people. That's what I want to know. Because if that's how he did it, I want to know how I should do it. That's what we're going to walk through. And we got, okay, 3.15. Whew, I thought it was 3, and I was really scared. Okay, we got plenty of time. Um, so, zero to 30 years, we know that's the, that's the reality. Next one is, we call it kind of a ministry foundation. I call this the Jesus ramp. Isn't that good? Um, it'll help you remember it, too. Um, and so the first part we, we talk about is ministry foundation. So um, here's what we learn about the life of Jesus. And this has blown my mind. And every time I go to Israel, this is the thing that, that, that really marks me. There's a distance from the time that he gets baptized for at least the first 18 months. We call this phase two, 18 to 21 months. It's probably closer to 18 months. Uh, for the first year and a half, um, Jesus is going to perform uh, hardly any miracles. Um, first two miracles are what? Water into wine. You remember the second one? And how many people knew about the water into wine? No, I mean, how many people at the party? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You're like, I do. Come on. We're not, we're not lost. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Just the servants. Just the servants. Which, that's a great sermon, right? Filled it to the brim. Um, and they filled it to the brim. And then the master doesn't even know. But, but the universal principle in the kingdoms, the servants get, get to worship God in a unique way. Because they watch him do stuff that nobody else watches. And they got the praise. The master's got the benefit. That's what happens when we serve the king. Anyways, um, in that, like, um, the, even the water into wine, they walked away from it. Other than disciples and servants, nobody else knew about it. Second one is the healing of the nobleman's uh, son, right? And do you remember what Jesus said to him? It's only two times he said this. I'm asking you questions. You're like, what is this, Captain Question? I'm trying to engage your brain. Like, this is called Socratic learning style. This is like... Pulling your wheels out. I know. You like that? Season, season Jesus followers. Come on. I need you. Don't tell. What do you say? Don't tell anybody. Close. No. He said faith. He says, now that is great faith. He only uses it twice. He uses it with this Syrophoenician woman and with this guy. He says, now that is great faith. Now, why is it great faith? Nobody else knows he heals yet. Isn't that interesting? Nobody knows he does that. 18 months into a relationship with this guy. That just blew your mind, didn't it? It did. And you're like, stop it. Stop it. That's me. Like, that's why we got to dig into Jesus, because you go, whoa, 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 whoa. So what did he do for 18 months? You remember what he was doing? Anybody? See? Now, if I ask you about church and how we run church, how much would we know right now? I ask, what, what did Jesus do with his disciples first 18 months, and how hard is it for us? Isn't that interesting for us? That, that was interesting for me. Let's, let's get better at that, right? First 18 months of Jesus' life, um, he's baptizing just like John down by the, in different parts of the Jordan. But he's also not pulling the guys away from their day jobs that much. It's not until Luke chapter 5, 18 months in, which is Mark chapter 1, they're, they're, they coincide. It's not until then in a relationship he has with them where he goes to them, says it's time to lay down your nets. But you already knew him. You just got back from a two and a half month trip with him, right, guys? Like all the, you guys were just out with him. You ran into a Samaritan woman. You did all this stuff. You come back. You, you're missing out on two and a half months of wages. You go out to fish. There's some pressure on you to feed your children, Peter's mother-in-law that's at the house. And you haven't caught anything all night. And Jesus comes while you're cleaning your nets after you thought you, you know, you thought you were miraculous going to go out and get some, you know, that God was going to take care of you. Now you're wondering if he is. You're bad-mouthing God under your breath and don't want to say it. Jesus now wants you to push out in a boat. And you're like, bro, I'm about to drop you. (laughs) 
And all of a sudden he says, uh, push out, you know the story, he catches fish, the only uh, number, it's the only time that fish are counted, it's about two and a half months wages. So many good things in there, y'all. So many good things in there. And all of a sudden, what does Peter say? Does he just see the fish or does he see that, man, I should have never doubted and I know, I, now I know he's got me and he can take care of my family. And he says, from now on, Peter, you're going to what? Now you're going to fish for men. Whew, change. All of a sudden, uh, there's going to be a prompting. Jesus is going to move to Capernaum. He used to, still was still living in Nazareth at the time. So he's going to come and make his home in Capernaum. Um, and that's, that's this ministry foundation period. What's going to happen there? So the next one is ministry training. Phase three. Um, it's roughly, um, and I'm going to break this up. This is like a, kind of like a, uh, maybe a year. I don't remember what I put in here. Uh, but it's basically about a year period that's in here. Did I put the times? Hopefully. Yeah, six to nine months. Um, it's probably closer to 12 months. But anyways, the, um, in here he starts, so he calls him and says, okay, now it's time to fish for men. So he says at the, at the, uh, at the very beginning, you're going to see this in uh, John chapter 1. This will help you just write John chapter 1. The first five followers that follow Jesus right there in John chapter 1. I love that John wrote about that late because we get a lot of dialogue we didn't get. He says, come and see. Just come and see. Come and see. Come and see. For 18 months, guess what Jesus is going to say to his, his followers? Lay down your life, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and if you don't die, you can't really follow me. That's a bad way to decide on just being honest. It says, why don't you come? Why don't you come? Uh, John chapter 1, I think it's verse 32. It says, uh, they came and they spent the day with him. It's a Greek word uh, that, that, that talks about getting under his skin. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. So they got under his skin, and immediately they came back and, and they ran to tell their brother, uh, Peter, the, the boat guy, said, we found the Messiah. We got our hands on him. We got to see it. But they still had a lot of growing to do, right? So keep coming and see. Keep coming and see. Watch what I do with a Samaritan woman. Watch what I do with your family members when you're sick. Watch what I do. Watch what I do. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. But then it's in Luke 5. He's going to say, I'm giving you a lot. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to listen to this later. Um, Luke chapter 5. He's going to say, uh, come and see is the first challenge. Follow me is going to be the next. And I apologize. Um, my slides that I teach with, and, and you can feel my pain, for, the, for uh, the last 10 years, I've saved them all on Keynote, and six months ago, they all got uh, demolished with an IT mess up, and so I'm rebuilding, and I didn't know till today that they were, this one was gone, so I'm sorry. But this is the best I got, so please give me grace. Um, but come and see, um, follow me, okay? Um, and then we're gonna get in here, and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna start to hear him say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's, that's kind of that Luke 5 thing. So let me put it like this. Um, he says, come follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. But then he's going to start saying, um, when they go out to feed the 5,000, and they say, Jesus, these people need feed. What does he tell them? Do you remember? He says, you feed them. Isn't that interesting? That's super interesting. Because all of a sudden, and I'm gonna, we're going to start building a spiritual pathway for people out of this. We're going to recognize that there is an initial journey of coming to see just getting their arms wrapped around, are you say who you say you are? If you rush this process, you don't understand how to disciple. I'm just going to be honest. There's a next season where you're going to start saying, hey, follow me. Why don't you follow me? I'm going to ask you. There's going to be a barrier here. There's going to be a barrier of faith. You're going to have to decide that, the, that, that Christ is worth following. And I'm going to start giving you roots. I'm going to start teaching you the things we talked about, how to pray. And, and, and what is this word thing? I'm going to have to give you spiritual roots. Like, but this is just, I'm just going to grow. I'm just going to grow. Just, just follow me. I'm going to give you roots in the kingdom. The next is like a kingdom worker chair or like a, a worker. Um, this is when he's going to start saying the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Luke, I'm throwing so many passages. I wish I had the, the things to back up. Ask me later for these passages if that's all right. Um, Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12. Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 70, all in chronological order. Um, and every time he gives them authority. A lot of people think that the, the day of Pentecost was the first time they felt the Holy Spirit's power through them. That is not true. What did he give them when he sent out the 12? He gave them power and authority. And what did they do when they came back with the 70? After Pentecost is the, not the first time they had healed people. It's not. It was, it was when they were learning. Jesus was like, I want to watch you do it. I want to watch you. I want to watch you. And that's, uh, we talked about this last class, Luke 10, when the 70 come back and they start walking and they start working in the kingdom. 
Jesus says, um, uh, and it's, uh, I, wanna, I, I don't want to misquote it, and it's just out of my brain, Luke chapter 10. But he says, wow, I almost opened up to it. That is so Jesus-like. <laughs> Creepy. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said. The only time in Scripture that Jesus is filled with joy from the Holy Spirit was when he recognized that now they're getting their taste on being a part of the kingdom. That's a beautiful place to be. Yes. Now, you're going to fast forward. In the last command, you're, this is the one that a lot of books have been written about to make uh, North American Christians feel bad about not being great in church. And that is what? It's this one. It's the end. It's, it's when he goes up to Caesarea Philippi. It's six months uh, to, before the cross. He takes all the guys up there. He withdraws with a small group of people. Um, it's right after John the Baptist has been beheaded. Um, I'm throwing a lot of details. I hope that you're challenged at least to go home and restudy the life of Jesus. Because, um, guys, I, I just I, I get real passionate about it. We've got to know Jesus better than we know church. If we don't have a strong Christology, what in the world are we doing talking about ecclesiology? How can we possibly understand the way the church is supposed to work if we don't understand Jesus? And I just say that not as a rebuke, but maybe... Because we've got to know Jesus. In our, in our, the, the students that are in our lives have to know that Jesus is the focus, not trying to work out the church. Amen. They need Jesus. And the, the, the ecclesiology is, is just, it's really messy and clunky and let's figure it out. But you've got to know Jesus' life first. So anyways, um, in that, he goes up to Caesarea Philippi six months before he heads down. I think he goes up, uh, there are four overnight prayers. I'm, I'm giving you tons of stuff. I hope that I challenge you to read these things. Um, one of the overnight prayers, he's trying to figure out his timing because they try to force him to be king. He says, I know it's not my time. He goes up, sends everybody away, goes up. It's right after John the Baptist gets beheaded. I could, I could take you to the spot right there, I think, where he's looking out and watching them struggle at the oars. He decides to go down and try to walk past them, not walk to them, almost walk past them. And uh, they call out, and that's when he walks in the water. They take him up to the street, Philippi. That night, I think he heard from his father what the timing was. God said, it's, it's, it's this Passover. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi. He stands before the gates of Hades. He says, um, says Peter, who do you say that I am? I think, I think you're the Christ. I think you're the Son of the living God. Yes, Peter, and on that rock I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And here's the deal. From that point on, he started to talk about the cross. He said, but here's the deal. If you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross, you can't follow me. Now, what did I just lay out for you? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, it's just barrage but now I'm about to make it practical. You saw a guy run into Jesus, master discipler, I think, run into a group of people that didn't really know who he was. And here's what you do when you meet people that don't know who you are. You say, why don't you just come and see? It's why the first class that we talked about is so important. If you're not the real thing, every good tree bears good fruit. If you aren't walking with him and praying and digging in the word, then when you say come and see, what are they going to see when they come to you? They'll see your church. They'll see that you're pretty. They'll see that you have things together, and that's not like them. Mm -hmm. If they see that you can't help but worship, and you're so overwhelmed by God's goodness that you, you tear up, you, you can't, you're, you're doing anything you can to get lost people in your life to come to Jesus. When you, when, you, when you start living that out, and you say, you live out the character and priorities of Jesus, and then you just simply say, why don't you come check it out? Why don't you come over to the house? Why don't, why don't we grab some coffee? You say, come and see, and watch what happens. Now, when you do that, there's a crisis of faith. They have to decide, are you who you say you are? Now, with Jesus, he is the Christ. But in our lives, we're not the Christ. <coughs> Jesus is. So at that moment, it's not at the end moment, um, and that's right in John chapter 1. John comes back to Peter and says, I, I, think he's, I think he's the Christ. I think we found the guy. He put his faith in Jesus. I think that, that getting baptized, finding your identity in Christ is right here. It's right in the crisis of, is Jesus who he says he is? Will I put my faith and trust in him? And when people come and see and they understand who you are, they will step into the believer. We're going to call this the believer chair. So this is the lost chair. Can we do that? So we're just, we started using chairs because we just started um, helping people imagine someone sitting in the chair. If you have a friend, tell me which chair they're in. If you have somebody in church that's stuck in the disciple-making process, awesome. Tell me what chair they're in. Well, let's talk about what's the barrier to keep them from being in the next chair. And then let's just help people take the next step in following Jesus until they're fully, fully discipling people and being the disciple makers they were made to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So if I'm a lost person, I don't know, Jesus says, come and see. You have to put your faith and trust in who he is, and then you become a believer. The, the North American church has a lot of these. We call this the lazy boy. <laughs> a lot of people that are just like, I just love that I'm loved, and I just love that I'm in, and I just love that I got, that I'm in heaven now, and, and ain't nothing, nobody can tell me that's going to change anything different. And Now, uh, should we be mad at them? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some of them. But do you know what a good shepherd, a good dad does? Says, you know what? So, okay, that's where you are. Let's give you roots. Let's teach you. Let's make sure a lot of people in this believer chair that they crossed over and they still don't know how to pray. They still don't know how to have intentional relationships. They don't. Now, what's the problem between this person? Why is it so comfy? Because they've never stepped into the worker chair and made life not about them. They've never. Uh, you give someone a taste of what it's like to have God flow through you and you will drop this chair like a bad habit. It's why so many of us, um, give me some times when your life was changed, you decided to go all in. What happened? Tell me what happened. <laughs> you know it. I guarantee you everybody's got a time. What happened? Uh, when did you go all in? When did I go all in? Yeah. Uh, I think it was like uh, freshman year of college. Uh, like I had a lot of friends dispersed everywhere, you know, uh, especially friends in the church, too, just left, and uh, just praying God, I was like, God, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore, I, I, I'm on my knees, I've given up, and, you know, I had someone reach out to me, and they're like, hey, I'll, I'll be with you the whole way, and just kind of that process of them being there with me through it, um, it pushed me to that next level, I was like, wow, this is, this is great to have someone right there with me. That's cool. Yeah. I, I would tell you about... 99% of people that are in ministry today, the reason they are is because they got a taste of this. They got a taste of what does it look like when, when he said, oh, you know what? The church should really help some of those people. <laughs> and Jesus says, you mean you? You mean you should go out and talk to that dude? You mean you should, you mean you should sacrifice your money? You mean you should pick them up? Like you, want, you need to be the one. And that is the worker chair. And so what does this person need to leave behind to get to this place? Comfort. It's not about you anymore. Um, they got to lose some of their stuff. They're going to have to reprioritize their time. What are some of the barriers here? The American dream. The American dream. The American dream is sit here and go to heaven yeah. and keep your house and your picket fence and your 2.2 kids. <laughs> like, just ride this thing in, straight into the land of glory. It's going to be great. Yeah. I think there's a big danger that I see in our church is there's just an assumption if you're there that you're going to be there. Oh, dude. And that could not be farther from the truth. Like, like just on your own, you're gonna like culturally you wear a pick yourself up from the bootstraps, like do oh, it dude. yourself. Yeah. And so like I like, feel like I've experienced a lot, I've seen a lot of people in that chair people in this chair just why aren't why aren't you coming too? Yeah. Without <laughs> have them go like come here with me. <laughs> that chair pulls back. Even when you go to this chair and you're like I'm on farm. I'm doing all sorts of study. Well, after a while, other people in the other chairs get a raise and get a new car and get all that. And you're like, that chair does look comfy. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> Tell me if you've experienced this. People move chairs. Um, sometimes people think they're skipping steps. Anybody notice that? Uh, students are the worst. They're like, Jesus, I love you. I want to go on a mission trip and help all the kids in Africa. Preach to the world. When are you going to give me a microphone on the weekend? You're like, bro, you don't even know how to pray. <laughs> bro, you don't even know. You know, like, come on, man. Like, like, I love you, but it is not time to give you the microphone, dude. It's time to teach you how to, how to be, like, walk in the character and priority of Jesus, man. And I'd love to help you do that, dude. I'll give that all the time. And guess what? Microphones are overrated. They will rob your soul. Be careful. Be careful of the microphone. They'll rob you, man. Yeah. There is a big element of fear going from that chair. There. Oh. Uh, and I think yeah. that holds so many people back. I know in our church, well, it's probably every church, it's always a challenge to get people to teach Sunday school classes. Yeah. Men's class, women's class, whatever. And you get the same people. People are sick of hearing you. They yeah. don't want to hear you. They say they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I tried, I, I, what, what bothers me, and I, it's just syntax. When our elders go around, they say, would you teach a Bible school class? Yeah. I will not teach yeah. a Bible school. I would never stand in front of those people and say, I'm going to impart my biblical knowledge yeah. to you. 
Great. Coming back to that, you just you just hit a, a spot for me. I love it. Thank you. And for I, yeah. I will facilitate yeah. any discussion. And so when I talk to people about teaching, I just have a friend of mine that pray for this. In June, beginning in June, he's going to teach his first, he's going to facilitate his first class. Yeah. And he's going to show a movie. He's a movie prop. Yeah. And it's about God, and he's going to use the whole yeah. subplot and everything. Love it. That, um, that he is nervous about this. Yeah. That, but this is such a huge step. And I said to him, you know, you, it's, you're just facilitating. You're yeah. not, nobody's judging you on your knowledge. Yeah. That's a huge leap. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me let me keep marching, okay? So you've got and, and keep in mind what are you gonna say? Hit it. No, I'm sorry. no, 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 hit it. It reminds me of something that I heard. Um, I think it was Bobby Bachman. I don't know if it yeah. But uh, a while ago, about how uh, in the church we often have this we don't want to tolerate kind of radical living within the normal yeah. kind of laity. Yeah. Um, but we assume and we assume that when somebody is like really in the word or just like on fire and wanting to serve all the time, wow, you must be No, no, no. And that's why we're going to have to get to tier four. Because most, even North America, they're like, oh, the big thing is we just need to get people baptized. Because then they're safe. I, I don't have a theology for that. So I, I gave up. Um, I'm not even going to try. Because um, I think that it's the wrong question. Um, but I will say, um, weren't we supposed to make disciples? And weren't we supposed to imitate the life of Christ? Now, like you said last class, that how long does this journey take? Y'all, it sometimes it's a year. Paul would tell you uh, he got there quick. Funny thing when you have a vision in the middle of the road and you go blind, uh, you speed up the process a little bit. <laughs> and guess what? That still happens today. Supernaturally, God moves. God, God, he's got his own thing. Some people take twenty years, thirty years. My dad didn't start leading people to faith. I led him to Christ as a sophomore in high school. He didn't start leading other people to Christ until he was 70, and he got intoxicated by it and fell in love with it. My, my wife's dad had never led somebody to Christ, was asked to be an elder at our church growing up. 80%, I'll repeat, 80% of people that step into full-time ministry have never led somebody personally to Christ, which still rocks my world. Let's just let, let's let it be said of us that that's not true. We love lost people the way Jesus loved lost people. And that we'll fight for them. Anyways. And so here's the reality. Like, like you, you start moving through this, you know, at 66, I think, after he had already cheated on my, my um, he kind of ran away from the church for a good decade of his life. And about 10 years ago, um, started realizing, you know what? I'm a fool and I need grace. And now 67 leads a bunch of ministries to the church. has been leading all these young guys, discipling young guys. Could he say, well, I wasted this, wasted this. Hey, bro. Moses got it at 80. Get over it. Get over it. Give the years that you have and give the best that you have. Get over it. Get over it, man. What you can do, Jesus did in three and a half years, what would flip, what has flipped the world upside down, get over yourself. Give what you've got left. So I'm telling you, it's, it's come and see, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you. I'm going to make you into a fisher of man. That's an active process. The Holy Spirit wants to come in. You join God in the work of the kingdom. What's he going to do to you? He will transform your life. This is a fun chair once you figure it out. But then there's this other thing where, and, and Jesus talked about it, and he calls disciples to it. There, there is a point where you, um, as a follower of Jesus, recognize, and this is the one in North America we've got to get better at. Let's just be honest, and other churches too. Um, Latin America, uh, they're more fun than us. Um, but here's the reality. Um, we've got to get our disciples to the point where they would, they would give everything for the kingdom. It's no longer about their salary. It's no longer, even in ministry, I'm with young pastors all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, we're in a weird spot, right? Like, like we're still living the American dream because now pastors are taken care of significantly better than, than the generation ahead uh, in front of us. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that we're taking care of pastors. Mm -hmm. We're still called to a life of suffering and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And what's that look like? And um, 
And so, how will you lay down your life, your time, your, your talent, your treasures? How will you give everything so that the kingdom will advance? How do you leverage your house? How would you leverage your relationships? How would you leverage your finances? How would you leverage your relationship? If your kid's in soccer, awesome. What are you doing when you're there? Will you give everything for the kingdom? That, when you start doing that, then you know. Um, and by the way, uh, here's how you know when, when, when you've poured into someone who's really a disciple. Uh, uh, I'd say, I don't want to say it. You know, you got to be careful with this because Jesus has got a lot of grace in the midst of this. We all mess stuff up. Um, when this person starts living their life, and that's what a, 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 a come and die person does, this person does kingdom work. This person will do anything to help a lost people be a lost person, be a found person, a found person become a worker, and a worker to become a disciple maker. This person is just watching these all the time and say, "I will leverage my life to help the next person take the next step in following Jesus." Mm-hmm. That's this chair. I'll give anything for it. I'll give my life for that. Um, and so here's, here's, here's kind of the, you know, from here to here, is there fear? Yes, there's fear. What is this going to cost me, my family? Uh, that I grew up this way. And what about my grandparents that passed away? And what does that say about? You're going to have to take a step of faith, and you're going to have to get over your fear. Well, you know what? It's about me, and what about my dreams? And I've got a really nice job, and I want to be a Christian too. Can I just do that? And you're going to have to get over your stuff and over your time and all of your vacations. You have to get to the place where I don't know. Uh, you know, being a kingdom worker is a scary position. I don't know what he's going to ask me. You know, a lot of people are scared of this because they're like, what if I say yes, and he's going to send me to Africa? You know, that whole story. And you're like, well, he might send you a neighbor. I know more teenagers that would rather be uh, choked out by an anaconda in uh, the, the jungles of Colombia than to be choked out by peer pressure at their table. Yeah, that's true. So going abroad doesn't make you courageous. Um, Jesus took the guys on six fishing trips before he started teaching them how to reach their neighbors, by the way. Um, he had to take them out of their comfort zones before he got them used to doing their inside thing. Isn't that interesting? We always think mission trips are the end, but he ends with them reaching the people close to them. That's interesting to me. So <clears throat> come and see. Follow me. Follow me, I'll make you. Come and die. Um, I think, and I, and I want to push past this. You're really smart people, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a couple things. And then let me just, um, this is called Socratic learning style. If you don't know, it's the best. If you're a teacher and you use Socratic learning style and you ask lots of questions, the people in the, uh, in, the, in the group will say things that are smarter, and you can assume like you already knew that. <laughs> That's why Socrates was so smart. It's a, it literally is a trick. Like, it's, it's like you, you, you're constantly pulling out the intelligence in the group, and everybody assumes you said it. You didn't say it. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? And so you collectively pull the wisdom out of the group, and you always, when you stop just teaching because you're the smartest in the room, but you glean because you know that the Holy Spirit has led us in the room, and that we're all intelligent, that we all have a place, then we all come to the table, we have more things to say. Now, I'm going to give you one more picture, and then let's, let's get to some questions. This um, sounds great, because Jesus took the guys, took the guys, took the guys, took the guys. Problem is, Jesus, remember that passage, no longer will a man call another man first, not father. He asked, his disciple, he asked us to disciple people, and then he said, no longer will a man call another man a rabbi. Anybody feel like that's conflict of interest? Does that make sense? Jesus said, no longer will a man call another man a rabbi. There's only one. Or a father, or, te- or a teacher, or a father. But he's asking us to make disciples. Does anybody wrestle with that? You should. Because here's the reality. 235 times the word disciple is used in the book of Acts. The word disciple is going to disappear, and instead of a Jesus who's discipling, you'll find that the Holy Spirit's the one discipling. Yeah. John 14, he said, if, if I go, I'm going to give you another counselor. Um, if you love me, and, um, and here's the thing, um, he is, it's actually, John 16 says, it's, even, it's better for you that I leave, and all the guys are like, that's not even true, you're lying. It is not better to not have Jesus with me. He's like, you don't get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you, and it's going to be in all of you. So when you show up, I'm going to say this. Abandon. I, I want to encourage you. I've got limited time. I want to encourage you. Um, the North American model of mentoring might be a little broke. Because it puts an inordinate amount of pressure on one person to be the rabbi. And Jesus said, don't do that. What do we see in the New Testament? Ecclesiology is the working out of what? The Holy Spirit orchestrated through the gifts of the church that no one person possesses on their own. Y'all, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We were talking about this earlier. 
It's, it's the best. I am an activator. I will activate you all day long. I'm going to inspire everybody. And then I want to go to a cave and not see anybody. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody. I, you know, I don't. And you know what my wife does? That's when she comes out and she starts cooking food and everybody realizes they like her more than they like me. <laughs> and then we've got evangelists in the group. And we've got people that, man, you know, we're, we're, we're talking earlier. And he's like, man, I, I don't stir you up, but I will walk with you. I'll be faithful with you. There is not a young man that I've ever been in their lives where I was enough to disciple him. So, man, I show up to the party every morning and say, Father, I'm a part of your family. I'm a spirit-led son of yours. But, and I will give whoever you put in my path whatever you have for me to give. And I will receive it. I can get coached by the Holy Spirit because he has something to teach me by my 12-year-old son. I can get it from an 18-year-old uh, punk kid that <laughs> has like a gleamy moment of Jesus. And I'm like, everything else? No. <laughs> Shoot, i got to do something with that. The, the power of a spirit-led community that, that, is, that is together. It's a culture of disciple-making led by the Holy Spirit. You get that in your church. You pray for that in your church. Y'all, it's so good. Because people start coming to Jesus because you recognize not everybody's really gifted at, super gifted at being an evangelist. You're not. Doesn't mean you're off the hook. You still got to talk to people. Um, but you know what that means? It, it means, um, means that some of you are. I'm, I, I am. I, I'm, I'm dumb enough to say things that I feel like the Lord's kind of put on my heart. I have no backup plan, though. Like, I have no strategy for connection and follow-up. I got to pass you off fast. Um, and so I have a community of people. And we all work together and through the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community. And guess what? By the time they're at the end, do they think I'm their hero? No. Guess what? Nobody gets to be the hero. And all of a sudden, instead of having, like the early epistles, what, what was Paul writing about that he had a real problem with? You remember? Oh, I follow Apollos, and I follow him. And he's like, do you not understand what we're doing here? He planted and he watered and come on man that's this is the kingdom this is community we disciple together we've been the the holy spirit is orchestrating his gifts through the bride so that we collectively can disciple i have young men all the time come up to me and say hey man is there any way you disciple me i say no i won't but i'll give me a day give me one coffee and we're gonna sit down and i'm gonna help you understand the gift of the holy spirit and his role in discipling and then I will set you in a path so you can plant yourself around spirit-led people so you can get discipled the way you need to get discipled. I'll do it in a heartbeat. And you, you picked the perfect group because there's a whole group of us. It started off with just like five of us, and there was 10 of us, and then there was 100 of us, and then it kept growing. And we're just committed to helping through our giftings that he's given us, helping the people around us take the next step. And those people are as committed to me as I'm committed to them. We're just going to help you take the next step. We want to make Disciples. I gave you a lot. We saw five minutes. What you got? Questions? <laughs> I'm a fire hose and I'm sorry. I really just made that. Yeah. I love the chairs. Yeah. But this last chair here, yeah. do everything chair. Yeah, <laughs> do everything chair. Feels like that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really a, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, take, take my yoke upon you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a yoke, but yeah. we're not alone in that. Jesus is right there, and that when you get to that point, you you are really strong because nothing gets in your way. You know that God is going to do it. You the, so you guys and I. I'm sorry, but like this is where we're supposed to get our future pastors from. We keep going to kids that we think are good at talking in front of groups, and we think because they have roots and they're good at talking in front of groups that they must be a pastor. Or they're good at talking in front of groups. And this is the place, when you, when you look at the elder list, this is what he's talking about. I want you to set apart some people like this so they can oversee the movement of this. Because they've proven that this is all they care about. They just care about the kingdom and helping people take the next step. But somehow we end up with, we go into our spiritual gifts testing, which is really our talents testing. I'm sorry, I'm going to, but really... And there's no proven fruit in their life. And we're trying to ask them to multiply things that they're not even multiplying in their own life. Now, I'm not, I don't want us pointing at everybody else. I want us pointing at us and saying, I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. I want the people around me. I want to help them 
in love and intentional relationships. I want to help. If you're here, I want you to get here. If you're lost and you live next to me, good luck. Because you are going to know Jesus, or you're going to have to reject him hard. <laughs> but there's not an option of the two. Because like, I'm going to love you until, until it, something happens. Yeah. On that graph, are we missing any? Uh, uh, I'm just curious. Glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, the leadership multiplication. Sorry. That's when the leader multiplies. This is when you get volunteers that will live like this. Watch your youth ministry. We used to have volunteers that would show up and read a Bible study uh, to kids in the class and teach them stuff. And most of them didn't do much more than teach it themselves and, had, and weren't really. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being real. But weren't really leveraging their lives for the kingdom in their everyday life. They weren't leveraging their homes for their neighbors. They weren't. And again, I'm not trying. People say, well, man, that seems like a lot. Yeah, that's the talk of somebody that's here. You start giving up your stuff and you'll find greater joy than you've ever found in your entire life. I know that to be true. You know that to be true. And so the only people that are worried about losing their stuff are the people in this chair. When you consistently hear people talk about losing their stuff and their time and their treasure, and what about my this, and what about my this, and I'm going to have to give up this, bing, 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 awesome. Just remember where they are. It's fine. Help them to get here. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, big a role, how big a role is it for someone <coughs> to speak a person like, or bless a person into that next phase? I, I feel like that was a big part of at least a couple parts of my transition of somebody else oh, man. that I looked at yeah. to say, like, and, and I feel like there's those moments there too, like, how significant or is that completely Everything. I, I think everything. I think this whole thing is relational. I think we keep trying, again, I'm not bagging on North America because I love her, but we keep trying to preach the person to this, content person to this, mission trip them to this. Jesus said, why don't you come spend time with me? Um, why don't you hang around? Because if you do, we're going to pray together. And you're going to watch me do some things. You're going to watch me read. Like, you're going to learn how to do this by just being with me. You're going to get your roots in faith by a relationship. But when he leaves Mount of Olives, what's he do? Do you remember? His very last thing was, it's interesting because all it says, he just blessed him. We, we miss on the blessing. Can I tell you a quick story of blessing? You guys got to go? Is it okay? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to tell this because you said this. It's your fault. So, um, so uh, anybody else? How many, who has kids in the room? So I think of kids in the youth group like kids, but then you have your kids, and you do have to make a decision. And so um, we were having, uh, the kids were kind of crazy, and it was getting wild, and ministry was crazy. I'm sure you've never had this uh, season. And I just felt like a, the worst dad ever, um, like ever, and I felt like I'm trying really hard. And so I'm praying in the morning. I'm like, Lord, I feel like I'm like, uh, what am I doing? And I, I, it was like a tearful, like, I don't think I'm, I didn't have a model for this. Like some of the ministry stuff I'm figuring out, but God, I just don't know. And how, what, how do I get through? And some of the stuff with my boys was, was I'm, I'm being silly, but it's just rough. They just, you know, they're selfish and they're this and they're this. And the Lord just is clearly says to me, and I know, you know, he speaks to us all differently. I don't want to put it in a box. He's like, man, I just want you to bless. And I was just reading a bunch of past but I want you to bless your kids. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I was like, I'm a Christian. Why don't I know what that means? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? <clears throat> and I thought, hmm, kind of like fasting. We've kind of forgotten. What is that? So I went Old Testament. I read through in a day. Literally, I took an hour. I read through almost every passage on blessing. And I got up in front of my kids. True story. Um, and things were getting dark in my house. I can't explain all of those. We were having some physical things. We were having some spiritual things. It was all, I won't get too deep into it. It was crazy. So I just sat in the room that night, and I called everybody in, and, and you know, this son is, like, farting on this one, and, like, I'm going, this is why I hate you. No. <laughs> I, I would never say that word, ever. I shouldn't. Um, and uh, Lord said, just bless him. So I called up my daughter. She was the youngest at the time. We didn't have the little guy. And I just said, hey, guys, um, and I think transparency and leading people and leading your family is key. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing out that the only authority that I get is from him. Mm-hmm. And when he talks to me, I follow it. I don't care what it costs. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Daddy's going to feel a little stupid right now because i just being honest. I was praying this morning, and um, sometimes, man, I just don't feel like I'm the best dad. And they're like, what do we do? I'm not kidding. <laughs> do anything, <laughs> kind of. But um, 
I said, but you know what? He just he just told me, and I didn't really know what it meant. So I, I, he just wanted me to bless you guys. And they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, well, I said, let's just do this. So I just brought my little Ava up. Best I understood, and I've learned a lot since then. I just, I just, she was um, six years old maybe at the time. I just took her hands in my hand, and I just looked at her, and I, and I said, Ava, I just want to bless you. And I, just, and I just started telling her all the things that God thinks about her and the future that he has for her. My six-year-old girl starts crying. My boys start crying. I went through kid after kid after kid. And I'm telling you guys, showed up supernatural in the home. And my home has never been the same since. There is a power in the blessing. Yeah. We should know that if we read scripture. Yeah. Nobody taught me that. But again, the Holy Spirit says, but I want to teach you. And, and let me walk you into the word. Let me show you where blessing is. Let me show you what to do with that. Let me show you why that matters in your family. And then I started realizing I'm missing out on blessing other people. I'm missing out on blessing these young men that I, I, I know what you're up against. And man, I don't know how you're going to get from here to here, but I'm just going to bless you right now. I'm going to speak into you what the Father thinks about you, and I'm going to claim the promises he has for you. And they're like, I don't know what that means. doesn't matter. Watch. And all of a sudden, these things start happening, and they're like, we're the sons and daughters of the king, y'all. Yeah. When we bless people, stuff happens. You can't put it in a box. So yes. That was a long answer. <laughs> so anyways, um, thanks for your time. We're five minutes late. I hope that was a blessing to you. Um, Gone Creek. Can I pray for us real fast? Let me do that real fast. Um, Father, we just love you. There is nobody like you. And uh, God, you are the aim of history, but you're also the aim of our hearts. We have found you faithful and you've saved us. And we're so thankful. Father, we pray just for your divine leadership in our lives, that we would be like your son, that we would be the men and women that your son had in his heart when he went to the cross and laid down his life and then resurrected and gave us authority and power and blessed us to go and be. But Father, so many of us spend time locked up uh, in fear or in old habits or in uh, kind of paradigms that aren't wrapped around your son Jesus. So God, uh, you said that you're going to lead us into freedom. So lead us into freedom. Lead us into wisdom. Lead us into maturity. Lead us into a place where we get to imitate your son, Jesus, and to do what we are made to do. We don't want to be known for it. We don't need to get fame for it. We just want to be your sons and daughters. And so, Father, I just pray an anointing over my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would give them such a richness to their study in the coming months, just of your son, Jesus, and what he really did. I, I pray that you'd frustrate the plans of the enemy in their life. Father, I pray that you would bless their ministries. You're your kingdom loves to move forward. You love to watch young men and women come to a knowledge of you and to walk in you. So God, just give them new paradigms and new freedom and new leadership ideas, but allow it all to be for your praise and for your glory so that none of us can say it was ours. We are crazy about you and we trust you. And I just pray all that in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all.